So just how far down do you want to go? Well, we could talk it out over a cup of joe And you could look deep into my eyes Like I was a supermodel Uh-huh Let's get this meeting started. Welcome back to season two of the Order of the Straight Arrow, a King of the Hill podcast. Feels good to be here. Feels good to have the gang here. Uh, you have myself, Dustin, Troop Scout leader, also known as Lays with Beef. Across the table we have... I am Denim Smoking Dart, the Troop Historian. Beside the Historian, you have myself, Miles, a.k.a. Chief Runs with Bins. And we have a guest in the clubhouse today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, I am Nathan, also known as Elder Little Pond, creative consultant. You might have remembered Nathan from last season. He joined us on a couple episodes, so thanks, Nathan, for being here. Thank you. He's becoming a little bit more than a guest these days, I think. Yeah, honorary member of the clubhouse, I think. Is oh, he's a full-fledged member. He's just, his attendance is a little spotty. He's got, we might have to take that attendance badge away from him. But he doesn't bring that county fair smell that the tip of the spear kind of had, so it's refreshing. Yeah, always welcome in the clubhouse. Thanks for being here again. Uh, so let's kick this uh, meeting off with the straight arrow oath. For those of you in scout uniform, three-finger salute. And those in civilian clothes, hand over your heart. Repeat after the historian. A straight arrow always tells the truth. A straight arrow loves nature. A straight arrow just pays the two bucks. And a straight arrow is always against Bill HR 57, which allowed the importation of South American propane. Can we get a round table, we Matanya? We Matanya! Feels like it's gonna be a good episode. So might as well go over to the historian for the episode info. Yeah, so this is the first episode of season two, King of the Hill. This is the 14th episode overall, um, going by production order. This one is written by Paul Lieberstein and Adam Cullman. Um, Adam Cullman directed Hank's Unmentionable before this and 15 episodes after this. He worked on King of the Hill until 2005, worked on a total of 17 episodes, uh, he got a start in, like, 85 with shows like Fat Albert and then went on to He-Man, the Masters of the Universe, and the Smurfs. He worked on lots of children's shows over the years, including What's New Scooby-Doo. He got his first longtime position at King of the Hill and then overlapped when he worked at The Simpsons. He started in 2002. He's worked at The Simpsons until 2018 and everything, including the movie. Damn, he's been there a long time. Mm-hmm. I- Damn, I just lost a lot of respect for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, Paul Lieberstein, he's a, he's a clubhouse uh, staple over here. We all know who he is. Toby from The Office, of course. But he also wrote 12 episodes of King of the Hill. Two we've already seen, Luann's Saga and King of the Ant Hill. Nate, I think you were here for King of the Ant Hill, weren't you? No. I was here for a single white female and the one with Buck Strickland. Oh, okay. All right. Plastic white female. Yes. <laughs> what did you say? Single white females. <laughs> I want to see that episode. He's worked on, he went after this, he went on to the Drew Carey show. Mm. In 2000, he left King of the Hill. And then he was on Bernie Mac. Uh, what? Bernie Mac, right. Oh, did Bernie Mac die? Yeah, he died 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Bernie Mac. Sorry. Rest in peace. Didn't know. Um, and yeah, but then he got the show, the job with The Office in 2005 through Greg Daniels. And in the commentary, it looks like they're pretty good friends. They were talking about going out shooting together and like <laughs> they like, yeah, they've had a long career together. Well, not are they only friends, Denim. They are, in fact, brothers-in-law. Get out of here. Are you serious? Yeah. Paul Lieberstein and Greg Daniels are brothers-in-law. <laughs> so Greg Daniels married Suzanne Lieberstein, who's now Suzanne Daniels. So she is brothers with Paul Lieberstein. So did they set that up, or did they know each other before? I think it was one of those arranged marriages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're both kind of funny. You the Liebersteins <laughs> and the Daniels. <laughs> yeah, so they, and uh, the Liebersteins have another brother, a younger brother, Warren Lieberstein. Now, he is married to Angela Kinsey, who is mm. Angela from The Office. And she's in this episode. She plays herself again, Angela, the Megalomart gun saleswoman. And who, sorry, what's the relation to them? Uh, Angela married Paul's little brother. Do you know when? Um, well, he, uh, Warren joined, uh, the office at the end of season five. So it would have been somewhere around there, like 2004. I think the office oh, started in 2005. Yeah. So that would have been what? Five years it later. Been 2010? So, yeah. 2010. Okay. And that's when you figure they met. I assume so. I mean, they could have easily met before, but yeah. it, it makes the most sense. Um, it's That's interesting you say that, because uh, just watching the commentary, and they get to the part with Angela Kinsey, and their voices are very similar, and like they banter really fast, so it was pretty hard to tell them apart. Yeah. But they started talking about her and said she was a well-known L.A. improv actor, and they kind of like lamented that most of her lines got cut, because, well, we'll get to that part later, but... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they just like they spoke about her as if like it was her. They were already friends with her. Right. So I, I mean, obviously they probably were in the same scenes, but mm -hmm. yeah, she makes one more appearance in King of the Hill in season three uh, in Peggy's Pageant Fever, and that's the last we see of Angela Kinsey. Okay, interesting. Um, I mean, this is a great episode. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that, guys, uh, historian and Binzi. Uh, let's bring it over to Elder Little Pond for the. Episode synopsis. Okay, so this episode's called How to Fire a Rifle Without Really Trying. Bobby shows a natural talent for shooting, while Hank deals with the trauma Cotton inflicted on him as a child learning to shoot. Well done. <laughs> All right, thank you, Elder Little Pond. And uh, as tradition in the clubhouse, we must start off with Elder Pond's Ponders. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'll start off with Dustin. I have uh, two two questions for everyone. Oh damn! So uh, I'll start off with Dustin. <coughs> on this in the gun club, on the soldiers wanted for local rebellion poster. Um, how much will it pay an hour? Five dollars an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> All right, Miles. Yep. In Hank's first flashback to shooting as a kid, Cotton is giving him a hard time about the kid from the playground that stole his what? Stole his pail? Also correct. Yes! <laughs> nice! <laughs> These are getting harder. You've been <laughs> trying to stump us. All right, Denim, at the sports psychologist's office, what does Hank say to himself before he shoots to help him focus? Prepare for top speed. Also correct. <laughs> right. Hopefully some of these are a little bit harder. Yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> nervous for my next one. All right, Dustin. 
What magazine is Bobby reading when he keeps saying, that's a nice gun? <laughs> Can I steal? No. Can I also steal? <laughs> Not yet. We'll save it for the end. It'll be a tiebreaker. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, like, don't, don't answer yet. We'll save that one for later. Bonus round! <laughs> okay, Miles... What is the father-son fun shoot sponsored by? Uh, the Arlen Endowment Club. Final answer? No, you're all looking at me like it's <laughs> a number. I can't remember. Or, uh, I can't remember. Can I uh, all right. No, no. You want to switch questions? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's save that. Denim, you get a new one, though. I get a new one. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. What are the three things... Hank won't let the sports psychologist do to him. Oh, hypnotize, molest, uh, and inject? No. What is it? Does anybody know? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, back to Dustin. The question that you're going to get is, what are the three things Hank won't let the sports psychologist do to him? Give him pills. Molest and hypnotize. Correct. <laughs> okay. So, um, oh, Miles. Oh, the question I asked you. Ask oh, what is the magazine Bobby is reading when he keeps saying that's a nice gun? I believe it was Pleasure, Kill, and Leisure. Yes, <laughs> yes correct. <laughs> <laughs> My subscription just ran up. <laughs> okay, and final question for Denim. Right. What is the father son fun shoot sponsored by? <laughs> The Arlen Endowment for the Arts. Correct. Nice. Very close, Benzie. Team effort, we all got the answers. Yeah. <laughs> we all got two eventually. Like we all deserve a beer. Yeah, very nicely done. I, I like those questions. They were a lot harder than the last ones. That was good. <laughs> yes. What is Hank's last name? <laughs> <laughs> and so we get right into this episode without a cold open. Um, and but one thing that is fun on the DVDs, the directors have these little intros that they made um, that were like unseen. They were just for in-house purposes, and they would just be a title card with a small animation, super low budget. Mm -hmm. For this one, it's just like a target that says like how to fire your rifle without even trying. Production code of the episode, um, King of the Hill, the writer director, and then it just the the target just got shot up a bunch. There was a few others. I'll talk about them. They're before most episodes. Um, but they started it in season two, and it, some of them are a lot funner than others. This is a pretty lame one, but we'll keep talking about them. You're going to have to describe, to me at least, all the ones from season two, because my fucking dog in between <laughs> yeah. season one and season two uh, wanted to really piss me off, so he ate my uh, King of the Hill season two DVDs. <laughs> he hasn't had wet food since. <laughs> that dog is famous for chewing shit. But, yeah, I mean, and then we just open up with the, it starts right at the Texas State Fair, and we get the introduction of a giant mascot. Uh, Benzie, you got something to say about Big Tex? Big Tex, yeah. Uh, Big Tex is real. If you didn't know, he's a 55-foot-tall statue located in Dallas at Fair Park. Uh, the original statue was built in 1949, but was destroyed by an electrical fire October 19th, 2012. 
That's his 60th birthday, if I'm not it mistaken. It was his 60th birthday. And, yeah, you look at the pictures online. It's kind of, like, horrifying. It started It started in his right boot, and then it worked its way up. So it's just this, like, gnarly, like, frame with, like, it's all half on fire. It's like something out of the Wicker Man. Yeah, it, it's super weird. And apparently, like, the electrical company that was in charge of that is the same one that the tip of the spear is currently apprenticing with. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the, there was a new big text that was unveiled September 26, uh, 2013. It was bigger. It was stronger. It was uh, The face was less creepy. And not and on fire. Not on fire. And, and sponsored by Dickies. Sponsored by Dickies. And the, the total cost of that was a half a million bucks for the new big text. And... It's voiced by uh, a few different people uh, throughout its time, and it always... Oh, can I guess? You wouldn't know. They're random, just, like, Texas people with, like... I was going to say it would be that Sam dude from Ghost Rider. No, it's been been a couple different guys since its, like, inception. Sam Elliott. And then (laughs) at one point, they did a a contest at halftime of a Dallas Cowboys game with, like, these three dudes to see who would be the new voice of Big Tex, and he always like greets people like how he did in this episode it says howdy everybody in this big booming jovial voice and things like that yeah it was pretty fun i had a i had a good look at him on the internet and i went to the like official website because i was seeing so like every time i just googled big text all i saw was him on fire yeah. <laughs> and so i went to the website to try and find some other stuff about like not the fire and then while i was reading all about it i was trying to see if it had um if they even mentioned the fire. And one of the things is just like, oh, and the fire. <laughs> they don't they don't have any pictures of him on fire on the website though. After we have a nice opening pan shot of the uh, of the Texas State Fair featuring Mr. Big Tex, it shows Hank and Bobby playing some fair games, and Bobby is failing miserably. Uh, Bobby, you better let me throw that last one. This man here is trying to run a business. <laughs> so he, what's the first one? He's throwing. So he goes, yeah, he's throwing baseballs at the bottles, trying yeah, to knock classic. them over. And then, um, and then he moves over to the ping pong balls. And Hank's sitting there trying to impart all of his wisdom on the weight of a ping pong ball. Like, you have to finesse it. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby, what's in your mouth? Look, Dad. I'm the commish. <laughs> so the commish, what is that the, show? <laughs> the commish was a sitcom that ran on ABC from 91 to 1995, starring Michael Chiklis with hair, some hair, what? not a lot of hair. <laughs> you remember, you know, Michael Chiklis from the, he was the thing in Fantastic Four. I only know him from his brief appearance in that Seinfeld episode. They go to the party in Long Island when Kramer's supposed to pick him up, and then they don't. And then Jerry's like, oh, as a favor, if you're ever in the city, look me up. And the dude just shows up on his door, like, ready to rage right there. And then Kramer shows up, and they do party. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, but that's the guy Bobby was imitating. Um, He was the commish. It's a show about big city cop, NYPD cop, goes to small upstate New York town, but it the show describes it as he uses creativity and humor rather than violence or force. So, like, is there an actual spot in that show where he stuffs a bunch of balls in his mouth? Because I couldn't find anything. No, I think it's just Michael Chiklis got a fat face. <laughs> like, I think that's all it is. That's the joke, I think. <laughs> and, yeah, and then the commission was created by Stephen J. Cannell. Cannell? And he's kind of a... I never heard of him before, but... He's created uh, The Greatest American Hero, 21 Jump Street, uh, one of my personal favorites, The A-Team. 
Um, oh, so this guy's a classic. But yeah, so after after I don't even think we get to see them fail at the ping pongs, and then they just go straight to the duck shooting. Also, like just putting like ping pong balls from like a county fair or state fair is like the most disgusting thing. <laughs> yeah, they've never washed them. Yeah, that's ever. true. And they've gone through multiple cities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's nasty. They, but yeah, then after that, they go to the sh- they go shooting ducks, and Bobby nails it over and over again. Yeah, those ducks kept popping up, and he kept hitting them, and he and like he was yeah shows an immediate talent for sharpshooting this is the second time in king of the host so far that he's seen an immediate talent for the first one would be with the golf club in hank's got the willies when he he drains that chip shot but unlike hank's got the willies in this episode bobby continues to be good at uh this new hobby of his throughout the episode yeah, it's not just a one-off fluke. And what I especially liked was when it uh, when he goes down the barrel of the gun, like in the iron sights, and the like all the noise goes down. And you can hear his heartbeat twice, and <laughs> it reminded me of Call of Duty or something. It was... yeah, tap R three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Suddenly, Bobby's a sinister little twelve-year-old, like put on Earth to kill ducks. Yeah, he's got like dead Bobby, eye or whatever. Way to kill ducks. <laughs> Did you get any rabbits? <laughs> So we see the whole family leaving in Peggy's car, and Bobby is sitting beside this giant purple donkey that he won from shooting so many ducks at the state fair. I don't think we ever see that donkey again. Seems he was more interested in the guns. (laughs) Hank probably threw it out. (laughs) I mean, I can say, uh, like, I'm pretty good at those claw machines. And I remember when I was, like, 15 or, no, 13, I think, we went to Las Vegas, and I just played those games. And I like just started. I just gave them out. I don't want them. I just want to win. I don't. I don't want the stuffed animal. I had a suitcase full. Of, and my dad was like, "What are you doing? Like, we just got rid of them. Just gave them to kids." There. We also went to Vegas of last February, and you went straight to the claw machines at upstairs in New York, New York too. And I still gave them to kids, although I asked permission to the parent first. I was gonna say you're not gonna be allowed back. You keep giving out. You gave some to my girlfriend too. I, that's true. I did. Someone's got to win or something. Leaving it in. (laughs) So we see the Hill family, or sorry, we see Hank and Peggy in their bedroom, I'm assuming that night, and Hank is wanting to buy Bobby his very own rifle. I thought this was a little interesting because what happened to the shotgun Cotton got him for his birthday? Yeah, no doubt. I was was thinking that too. That was just a few episodes ago, and Peggy shot that down in a second. I mean, she's consistent in her belief. She kind of changes in this episode, but, I mean, it wasn't mentioned. I guess it is just supposed to be whatever, but I did sort of think of that. Yeah, she must have thrown it out before she knew Bobby was good at it, and then that trumps all beliefs. If Bobby's good at something, let him do it. I guess he, like, can't really target practice with a shotgun. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's probably true. Maybe that one's for when he goes to Grandpa Cotton's. Um, Or maybe he just keeps it in the cabin. Maybe. Um, but yeah, I like, uh, I, I really like Peggy's argument for why Bobby is not old enough for a gun. Uh-uh, no. It is just not age appropriate. It would be like, like giving Boggle to an eight-year-old, even though the box says that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, what age do you think she introduced it to Bobby? Oh, uh, after his uh, first year of college. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I've noticed, taking notes on this episode, that this is probably the first one so far in King of the Hill that I haven't been completely annoyed with Peggy 
in the episode. She's I'm actually on her side um, at the uh, you know when we get to the midway ending of the episode. I mean, not right now, but <laughs> yeah, like she is kind of like the voice of reason, I guess, for Hang throughout the whole episode. Yeah, and I like that it's just like a simple, clear cut. Not they don't get confused with what they care about, and she just gets right to the point in all the scenes that they talk to each other. It's not like they argue a whole lot. They just both say their sides of the story, and Peggy's is actually like really relatable, and I agree with her a lot. I think it's interesting that, yeah, those other those side characters, all of them besides Hank and Bobby, <laughs> just listening to the commentary, they all just fell into place. Nobody had a, an agenda. Other than Hank or Bobby, mm-hmm. like in this episode, uh, even it goes, we'll talk about it later, but it was, so Peggy was just used to move this plot along, really. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, she wasn't. And I kind of appreciated that. I didn't want a Peggy story, so thanks for just cutting to the chase. It works. Yeah, it, it totally works. works, yeah. And uh, Hank and Peggy end up getting really emotional about <laughs> Hank talking about his future plans for Bobby. I don't want to wait till the cat's in the cradle and Bobby's too busy with a propane business of his own. <laughs> not taking over the family gas station. <laughs> but that makes that makes Peggy almost tear up, and that's the turning point. Uh, the next day, we see Hank and Bobby, and they're walking through the Megalomart. Uh, where's the children's gun section? <laughs> uh, so that's funny. In the deleted scenes, actually, um, they were there was, or I don't know if it was deleted or just cut from the script, but they talked about in the commentary where they were they had a point where they were going to say, "Oh no, that's illegal," <laughs> and they were like, uh, "No, we're not talking about toy guns. We're talking about real guns." Like, "Oh yeah, over there." <laughs> <laughs> in the actual scene, did you notice um, which aisles? that the gun section was wedged in between. I thought it was kind of funny. No. Oh, this is going to be fun. On the left side, it was wine. In the middle, it was guns. And on the right side, it was beer. So right at the, <laughs> the, the liquor section of Megalomar is where they also keep the guns. And that's where we meet Angela Kinsey. Also, um, I guess she plays her own name in every role she's got. <laughs> she's Angela, the, the Megalomar clerk. She's, yeah, she's very encouraging to 12-year-old Bobby buying his first rifle. Bobby stares at the gun section for about four seconds, and he goes, I got a good feeling about this one. <laughs> and Bobby picks out the Marlin 22, and Hank sees this as sort of a Hill family tradition. The gun that he shot as a boy, and the gun that Cotton shot as a boy. And Bobby is just probably like the happiest we have seen him so far in this series. He is just berating his father with all these different ideas for their new <laughs> hobby. Can I keep my new gun in my room? Sure. Can I keep the bullets in my pocket? If you want. Can I put a gun rack on my bike? Do you know how long I've been waiting for you to ask me that? Can't say I've ever seen a gun rack on a bike <laughs> before. I've seen like fishing rods like, you know, strapped to it, but... <laughs> That must be a Texas thing. Yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> Texas-sized bikes. <laughs> and following this, we see um, the first time the Arlen Gun Club, where Dale is like a charter member, and Hank and, and Bobby go there to try out the new rifle. Yeah, it kind of feels like this is where Dale can, like, be himself and be in charge. Like, this is Dale's Rainy Street Alley where he's the top yeah. dog, you know? I'd like to, I know they do a little bit in like later episodes, but like explore the other weirdos that hang out at the gun club. Like, <laughs> maybe have them say a line or two would have been cool. Yeah. It's also cool to see like the, uh, like kind of that like 
redneck paranoia, like, pre-internet, though. Like, it's just, like, posters and shit. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And, and Hank, or, sorry, Dale's in, like, head-to-toe camo, and he's got, like, that fucking beret on you. It's, like, some, like, old Soviet dude. And the local militia. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's, like, Soldier of Fortin ads. So then Ray walks in with the same snow camouflage bib overalls that he knew I planned to wear that same hunt. <laughs> So this is the very intriguing dialogue that goes on inside the Arlen Gun Club. I thought this was a crack house. <laughs> yeah, Bobby goes, wow. And they walk up to it. And it's like, it's so sad in there. It's like Jews that are cr- as just as crazy as Dale and have nothing better to do than sit around and smoke and drink and talk about, like, conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah. It, like, it, it pans around the... Uh, no, sorry. I think, well, first, um, like, they talk about, like, the fucking, how much does it cost to, like, shoot, or, like, how much is lifetime membership, which is free, I think, and then Hank takes a moment, looks around, sees, like, this Soldiers of Fortune poster, (laughs) and the, uh, rat-mounted mouse, I don't even think it's a rat, it's a, yeah, it's so small, it's like, and then he's just like, I'll just pay the two bucks. Now, do you think it's Dale that shot and mounted the rat, or one of the other nuts? I bet Dale killed it by exterminating it <laughs> and then brought it in and cut its head off. I don't think he shot it. Told everybody he shot it, though. <laughs> Hank's jacket is so Desert Storm. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, now we got Bobby uh, with Hank out trying to sh- teach him how to shoot at the range. And Bobby is nailing it without even paying attention to any of Hank's advice. He's a Bonafide sniper. He really is, yeah. What you've done here is very good. <laughs> I'm a little upset with the grouping. <laughs> I, I love it because he says, that's my boy. It sounds like he's talking to a dog. <laughs> yeah, some other dude at the gun or at the at the range comes over after he sees what Bobby is doing. He asks if they're gonna join the father-son fun shoot this year. And if they are, then he'll just save himself the entry fee and not enter because Bobby is killing it. All this being father and son is finally gonna pay off. <laughs> it's like such a strange thing to say. Like, what was he thinking for the past twelve years? Yeah, I guess Bobby's not getting a lot out of this relationship <laughs> with, with him and his dad. Apparently, after they find out about the fun shoot, Bobby's all excited. So Hank sends him off to get a bag of bullets, and he picks up the twenty-two and. Says the other father's sort of lingering. I forget the last time I shot a twenty-two, but I'll bet you there was a Texan in the White House. And I ain't talking about Herbert Walker Bush either. So what he's talking about here is, like, based off of how old we assume Hank is, he would have to be talking about Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson. Um, and then we get the next flashback where he's, like, a child learning to shoot. So... You're gonna. So I assume it was Lyndon Johnson, and uh, I think I think Pond has a few things to say about Lyndon Johnson. What years were he in office? Well, Lyndon Johnson, <laughs> <laughs> Lyndon Bain Johnson, or LBJ, was the 36th president of the United States. He was in office from 1963 to 1969. He was the Democratic vice president when um, JFK's head got blown off and he became the president after that and then I guess he must have won an election and uh or two and his wife's name was Ladybird which is obviously what the dog's named after 
And yeah, um, that's a fun fact. I, I think he's I kind of think a fun. That. He's kind of an interesting guy. Like, you know, did you play that that video in the last episode of his phone call? You know, like oh, he's a he's pants? he's definitely a Texan. Like, yeah, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> the basis for Buck Strickland, of course. Right. Yeah, that's why we talked about him. <laughs> Should we dust that clip off? It's pretty good. Yeah, it's a great Hello. clip. Now, another thing with crotch down where your nuts hang is always a little too tight. So when you make them up, give me an inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. It's just like riding a, a wire fence. These are almost these are the best that I've had anywhere in the United States. But uh, uh, when I gain a little weight, they cut me under there. So leave me. Uh, you never do have much margin there. Let's see if you can't leave me about it. An inch from the where the zipper in, in uh, round uh, under my back to my bunghole, so I can let it out there if I need to. There was also like a a rumor that I read somewhere on the internet that he was very well endowed and like liked to let people around him know and like he'd like show people his thing. But I mean, I did just read that on the internet, so can confirm. <laughs> Describe it to me. <laughs> You're never gonna be a war hero like me if you shoot like that. No wonder that kid from the playground stole your pail. He knows you can't shoot. I want my binky back. You want your binky back? You gotta come in firing. Now, try again. You know what that voice reminds me of? Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when Herbie doesn't want to make toys. <laughs> Herbie doesn't want to make toys! It totally sounds exactly like that. Yeah. Exactly it's, like it. You're right. Like, like it's even like the same... Uh, Dennis! Yeah. <laughs> uh. So that was the... While Bobby is off buying a bag of bullets, which is weird because I didn't... I've never heard of bullets being sold in bags before. I guess that's a... A gun club thing, but this is the Hank picks up the twenty-two, decides to shoot. As soon as he does, he starts rattling and shaking around, and he can't center the gun or even you know get a sight of the target. And it, that was the flashback that we just hear is when every time he would try to shoot, Cotton would just start berating him and screaming at him, and it, it traumatized him for his life. Bobby emerges from the gun club, and Hank uh, quickly takes the target he was shooting at, which has, like, two bullets that, like, barely clip the square piece of paper, and he stuffs it into his pocket. Then they're back in the kitchen, and we see Bobby's reading Pleasure, Kill, and Leisure magazine. I can't believe I couldn't remember that. I knew it had kill in it, but I just didn't want to butcher it. I took a note of it. But yeah, it's nice to see Bobby actually takes an interest in something and he's flipping through the magazine and Hank's kind of sick of it because he feels a little bit uh, emasculated or embarrassed. And uh, Peggy makes a comment that kind of hits a little close to home for him. In no time at all, you'll be better than your father. Now, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> Let's see him hold down a job and be so good. <laughs> and nobody picks up on these weird cryptic statements by Hank, I, by Hank. And I guess, like, his whole life, he's just been like, I love guns, guns are great, I'm a great shot. But nobody's ever seen him shoot, and nobody just doubts him. Yeah. You know, like, throughout the episode, like, um, Hank's, like, afraid, like, people are going to find out, like, how bad he is. <laughs> but, like, do you think he's jealous of Bobby being good, too? Or just just about people finding out he's bad. I think it's probably a bit of a both because it's definitely he definitely cares what everybody else thinks because he makes that uh, line to Peggy yeah. about yeah maybe the rest of the town isn't as forgiving as you. 
Um, but he's also like has gotta be a little bit embarrassed. Yeah. That, like, his son is always bad at everything, and he wishes he was good. And when he's finally good, he can't do it with him. Well, I think he's also jealous of like Bobby's like kind of carefree spirit, mm-hmm. and like his carefree spirit is kind of what makes him good at shooting. Well, like I think in that way, he's a lot more like Cotton. I think, yeah, and I think he'd also be jealous of the fact that how he was taught to shoot was by Cotton screaming at him, and Bobby was, like, taught to shoot at a county fair having fun. Yeah. I I don't know if it's so much jealousy as, like, you heard how he reacted when the guy noticed how good of a shot Bobby was at the beginning, and he said, hell yeah, that's my boy. And so I think Hank takes the pride in having been able to teach his son and believe that that skill comes from Hank mm-hmm. and then Hank can't prove it that he's a good shot. So I think he's more like embarrassed or feels uh yeah he feels like emasculated that Bobby didn't get his shooting gene from Hank. Yeah, that's a good point. Like he can't take credit for Bobby's skill. Mm-hmm. Like he can take it on the outside and like he did when he was at the range, but like deep down he he feels like a like a liar. Yeah, he knows that there's, there's, yeah, he's not, he's not a good shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Bobby is so, uh, so excited that he's just clearly annoying the hell out of Hank. And he, um, he finds an ad for father-son zip-up ponchos in the uh, Pleasure Kill and Leisure magazine. And then Hank starts to begin uh, a long bit about kind of excuses and reasons why he's not going to do the, sh- uh, go into the father-son fun shoot and he tells Bobby that he has to do take a safety course first and uh, after he's finished the safety course after they've sucked all the fun out of it then to see if he still wants to do it because it was he didn't want it to be another tap lessons uh, thing (laughs) (laughs) I I guess they bought Bobby some tap shoes and it was kind of a bit of a fad I didn't know it was loaded is not an acceptable excuse I wasn't there or I never met those people are better excuses. Yeah, I think earlier, Dustin, you described him best. How did you describe him? <laughs> He's basically like Bill with one eye. <laughs> <laughs> he is. And now I have a little bit of trivia. Did anybody else happen to notice who was sitting beside Bobby in the course? Oh, it's, um, no, I know it's Kane Scredderberg. It is not Kane Scredderberg. Oh. I noticed Bobby was like looking at his paper and he yeah. gave him a look, but I can't remember who it was. Dustin, any guesses? Um, I can't, no one. Okay, do you guys remember back to episode four, Hank's Got the Willies, when Hank brings his guitar shop into Earl? Was it less? It's less. (laughs) It's less, and as far as I know, we're the first people to discover this because he doesn't even have his own page on the wiki thing. Oh, we gotta make one. I just made an account today because I saw one that said Mike instead of Mike, and I had to replace it. (laughs) We'll make it because I took the screenshots because it did look familiar. I was like, who is that? I thought it was uh, Richard Adderley's boy, the the gamer freak. (laughs) And so you went back and like you looked at last. I I watched uh, uh, Hank's Got the Willies, and it's the exact same character. He just has a different color shirt on. That is awesome. Okay. Who knows? Les comes back. I like it. That is amazing. I want to. I want to hear more speaking lines from Les because he was a genius. When I was your age, I used to get so excited about hitting the target, I'd run right out onto the range. That's how I lost this thumb, and later. This eye. What I like about this clip the most, he lost his thumb and it still didn't stop him from running out onto the course. He's gonna shoot his eye out. And then he got shot in the eye. 
I have a feeling like he probably didn't stop doing this. Everybody else around him at the gun club just learned that he does this. So. I think there's evidence later to prove that he never stops doing this. <laughs> they kind of like just burn through the safety course pretty fast. I'm sure Bobby just passes it and he's obviously still interested. Much to Hank's disappointment. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish they more they elaborated on that a bit more. It was probably funny uh, with the characters in there and the guy hosting the course. But yeah, Bobby kills it. In the next scene, we're back at the Hill House and Peggy is sewing his... No. Luann oh. is sewing. Luann. Peggy's working out in the background. Um, in the commentary, actually, they mentioned how like this was one of those scenes where they realized they hadn't included much of anybody besides Hank and Bobby. So they just sort of decided to throw Luann in to make use of her. And then he was like, and for some reason we put Peggy working out because that's what she's doing. <laughs> in a little bodysuit working out. Yeah, Luann only has like one line in the whole episode. And same with like Boomhauer and Bill. They, they, they're they barely in it and all too. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, like they said, all those things were kind of just... The story was so rich with just Hank and Bobby and even Cotton, actually. They were all added afterwards. Then that was Greg Daniels' idea, and Paul was kind of, like, and, like against it because it wasn't his idea. And then after Greg Daniels did a rewrite of it, he came around. And in the, in the commentary, he was saying, like, how glad he was that... Because he managed to work it in wonderfully. And, yeah, he was happy with it in the end. But, yeah, originally it was just Hank and Bobby. Yeah, my I was going to say I liked in that scene where um, Luann is sewing the badge on and Peggy says, uh, uh, Bobby loves guns, you love guns, carpe diem. <laughs> uh, I'm, I almost just took back what I said earlier about her not being annoying in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> She's so annoying. <laughs> but to be fair, I think that's the only actual annoying thing she does in the whole episode. Yeah, by, besides uh, saying that a child couldn't play Bockle. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> so this is the start of Hank making up all these new excuses and reasons why... He doesn't want to uh, to go into the fun shoot. And they're pretty funny. Like, they're so <laughs> boring. And, like, he says at one point that they're coming up on the new propane season. He's too. He's simply <laughs> too busy. I mean, the propane, I know there's one season I go and buy propane. So he's probably not wrong. But in the whole fairness to the to propane, there's no there's no off season. Yeah. <laughs> like, people eat their homes and yeah, shit. Yeah, like especially down south. It's never, like... Too cold to fucking barbecue. I guess you're right. Yeah, and the heat thing, too. <laughs> so they end up at the shooting range at bright and early before anybody's there. Why do we have to practice so early? I want you to get used to the pressure of shooting when no one's watching. <laughs> <laughs> A very real pressure to hang, but a made-up one. I know, and then... And then Bobby's given the same pressure to Hank that he heard from Cotton years ago, like, 
Why are you squeezing it so hard? Yeah, Steady yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah, you need finesse. Yeah, Bobby just starts roasting his old bag. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he doesn't even know he's roasting him, no. though. He thinks yeah. he's helping. Yeah, then Hank, like, it's it was, like, stressing me out just to watch this, like, jittery Hank with this rifle jumbling around, like, jumbling around his hands. There's quite a few moments in this episode where I really felt for Hank. Like, I, like, yeah, he there was some really good... Really good moments in this one, and it wasn't like overcrowded with them, so it's not too sappy. I, I really like this episode. Yeah, I mean, I feel for Hank, but I mean, I know he comes around in the end, but like, I, I do feel like he's being shitty to Bobby. Like, Bobby's actually like he's not good at anything. Like, he, no, he's not funny. Like, he wants to be a comedian, but he's bad at comedy. <laughs> but like, he's actually good at this. He's not just good at it. He's like exceptionally yeah. good. <laughs> Like, he could, like, make a career out of it. <laughs> yeah, like, Hank could just be honest with his son and just say that he's bad at shooting and then get his son, who's naturally good at shooting, to, like, teach him and that bond over that. But Hank's just too proud. Do you think part of the interest for Bobby um, is that it makes his dad proud or he thinks it makes his dad proud? Like, if he was to find out, I mean, he finds out later, I guess, but do you think that, like, yeah, if... Bobby was like, oh, my dad can't shoot, but I'm good at it, that Bobby would even give a shit about it? I don't think he would care at all. I think he is, you're right, stoked that he can make his dad proud because I don't think Bobby just loves shooting. I th like. I think it's Bobby likes doing something with his dad. So I think, yeah. I actually don't even know if it occurs to Bobby that Hank's bad at it. Like, yeah, he just wants to be spending time with his old man. But, I mean, like, at the same point, Bobby, he's he's not Hank. So he could have been like, oh, look, Dad, like, I'll teach you. I'll show you. I'll help you. You know, I'll get you through it till you are a good shot. But Hank just doesn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, Bobby could have been in, like, that stupid fucking Winter Olympic game where they, like, cross-country <laughs> yeah. ski and then shoot a rifle. I mean, like. I don't think Bobby's much of a cross-country skier. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, man. <laughs> hey. He'd surprise you. He might be a pinch shooter. <laughs> he could toboggan. But I love this. Uh, we're going into a flashback here with Cotton. And this one's extra brutal. Oh, Someday soon, all of you will be drafted in the war. Some of you, like Hank, will be killed. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so brutal, yet also I just want to highlight someday all of you will. <laughs> like I guess it you know, probably wasn't long after or maybe around the Vietnam War, yeah. but it was like still like that's a pretty funny thing to say. Um, and I also kind of want to touch on this uh, flashback scene here. I noticed something on like my four three watch of this episode. They're all like scouts there and cotton's running like a shooting lesson for a bunch of scouts so is this the second uh appearance of the order of the straight arrow it must be i never thought about it till i just looked down and saw your notes but um that's got to be an order of the straight arrow meeting uh eustace i mean it looked useless like useless <laughs> he was there oh i thought it was just the four of them it looked like useless was there it didn't look like the other kids weren't like the Boomhauer stuff were they I think they were just oh, generic I... kids and one of them kind of looked like useless oh, it could be actually he does it says online that he does have a cameo in this episode but it must be a deleted scene or something it might be there yeah so that must be uh, it must be Eustace useless <laughs> I, I will say too like um, Hank drawn as a kid I know there's some chatter online and amongst the clubhouse that um, 
sorry, Bobby might not be Hanks. And I know we generally dismiss it, and so do I. Well, we've had the discussion. Yeah, but, like, Hank drawn as a kid in these flashbacks looks a lot more like Bobby than adult Hank. So maybe Bobby will grow to look more like Hank rather than them not looking alike, like, as father-son right now. Yeah, that, that can make a lot of sense. I, uh, I do notice that, too. It's funny how they, they do that, and they don't have, like, different voice actors for them as kids. It's clearly just, you know, <laughs> Mike Judge just uh, pretending he's four years old or whatever how old they are. Um, I, I would say that Bobby always looks a lot like Cotton, though. Yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> hey, he's got my haircut. <laughs> <laughs> They're about the same height. <laughs> What happened to its legs? <laughs> <laughs> but so Hank is traumatized by the memory of his father yelling at him and uh, makes an excuse that he can't <laughs> fix the right. The, the rifle's broken. It's the rifle's fault. It's the shaft. <laughs> it's the shaft. Bobby's onto it. He knows. There's it's no not. shaft in a rifle. So Hank goes inside and he's greeted by a sports psychologist, Dr. Philip Nye. I like how you know Hank goes in there and it's like first thing in the morning. There's probably not even that many people there in like midday at the Arlen Gun Club. So he goes in there expecting to just take a you know take a step away from Bobby and collect his thoughts. And there's this weird dude in this weird tracksuit. And Hank sits down and he immediately gets up and walks over and sits beside Hank. And then Hank kind of just shuffles over. <laughs> and then Doc, oh yeah, Philip Nye starts like you know forcing his commentary on Hank. Maybe I can help you. I'm a sports psychologist. I worked with the Cowboys. When? Last season. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) So last season, which would have been the 1996 NFL season, the Cowboys went 10 and 6, which is actually not bad at all. It's damn good. Pretty good record. And they lost in their second playoff game. But, and the Green Bay Packers ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. But I guess they won the previous year before that. They won the Super Bowl in the 96, so the 95 season. So maybe they had, like, really high expectations. I don't know. You guys are bigger football fans than I am. So. Well, there was also all that drama that we talked about in uh, Peggy the Bog- Boggle Chat when Hank doesn't want to go to Dallas because the Cowboys live there and half of them are debutantes. Crack, crackheads and debutantes. <laughs> yeah, so we, we don't need to talk about it again, but if you want to listen to why that team was so... Um, just not agrees with Hank's character. Underachieving? <laughs> they no, were they achieved. Under- they just, off the field, they were a little uh, reckless. The whole... <laughs> So yes. It started at the top, Mr. Jerry Jones, all the way down. Research has shown that athletic performance is 10% physical and 100% mental. That adds up to 110%. Breakthrough! <laughs> that voice is none other than the most recognizable Wallace Shawn. Some of you may know him from his work in Toy Story or The Simpsons, Family Guy, uh, and also The Princess Bride. Inconceivable! <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's great. He, uh, yeah, he plays Bertram in Family Guy, Stewie's uh, long-lost brother. He's Rex, the T-Rex in Toy Story. Um, he did a lot of, like, he's in a lot of kids' films. Um, and he was even a playwright back in the day um, with polarized views from the critics. Some loved him, some hated him. Uh, but, yeah, he was an actor in New York, born and raised, a very wealthy family. But, uh, yeah, he plays... Why can't I ever remember his name? Dr. Philip Nye, sports psychologist. Dr. Philip, New York. Oh, born in 
raised. Do you just hang out here all day waiting for someone to miss a lot? Oh, just in the mornings when the lousy shots arrive. In the afternoons, I go to the bowling alley. Losers are very predictable. <laughs> You're going to rip that up. <laughs> um, it's yeah, that's funny. New, maybe it is New New York. Because last name might come from that because I did hear in the commentary that they were they talked about how much they loved getting Hank with a, a psychiatrist or psych, of any mm, kind. Yeah, they're like saying like he went to like anger management um, psychologists and sex psychologists and never to just a real psychologist yeah. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, and they were saying that Hank just, they love putting him in these northeastern situations. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe the Philip Nye does come from the thought of them associating um, the northeast with, like, psychology and totally. that sort of academia. Yeah, and obviously he he worked for the Cowboys, but it clearly didn't work out if he's hanging out <laughs> at fucking shooting range waiting for people to be bad. And we looked at his uh, his business card, and it looks like uh, Dr. Philip Nye has a Bachelor of Science in Psychology. It says BS Psychology. Which... And I mean, <laughs> uh, just, I don't know if that's how you write that, but... I think it's BSC, so I think they were... Maybe they were trying to make a little joke there. Yeah, exactly, because when we actually see Hank with him in the psychology office... It's BS. It's BS. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll get there when we get there, but... But Hank refuses this guy's services and uh, goes home with Bobby. You shouldn't take guns to school with you. They're dangerous. Guns are dangerous? What? <laughs> oh, brother. I love, love Dale just like on guard for that <laughs> argument. This episode has so much potential to be so politicized, and they tried really hard not to um, go there because they mentioned how they were worried that every every sitcom around this era did the liberal look at how it would be like. The family gets burgled, the dad goes to buy a gun, and then he accidentally shoots Bobby and then or accidentally shoots almost Bob. shoots Bobby. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. And then it's no more guns. We've learned our lesson. Yeah. And they really, really wanted to make it Texas. And they really wanted to keep it at like guns are just a fact of life. And it's not there's no like It's not a question of if we have a gun. The only question is do we give our 12-year-old a gun, which I guess is a valid question even in Texas. Mm -hmm. But, like, yeah, there's no questions of the family not having guns. And that's just what they wanted to play it like. Yeah, and I like that because it doesn't make this episode feel like, oh, it's a gun episode. I feel like this is a Hank and Bobby episode. Like, mm-hmm. And I really like that. It makes it, it just yeah. kind of takes away the stress of having an opinion and, and sticking to it and just like enjoying how these people live their life. What, uh, what's this about guns being dangerous? Well, that's right. They kill people. Guns don't kill people. The government does. Oh, Hank, guns have been around for years. If they were dangerous, I just think someone would have said something. He's in the military. (laughs) (laughs) He knows the potential. (laughs) He just cut the hair, but (laughs) he's got to have some basic training. (laughs) Politics aside, this is a... This is a good way to show this sort of angle because it yeah. doesn't. And it, you're right; it doesn't like pick a side. But I like that it also kind of points out and 
plays with the NRA. That line. Oh, when they just rock Dale's world. <laughs> Let me ask you this. A guy breaks into your house, but you don't have a gun. How are you going to shoot him? <laughs> Dale, the NRA is a Washington, D.C.-based organization. Are you telling me you support Washington, D.C.? That's a thinker. <laughs> <laughs> that, of course, what uh, Dale was saying um, was an excerpt from the 1997 issue of American Rifleman. Are you serious? Did, that was an accurate quote that Hank said? Oh, I'm not actually sure. But that's, <laughs> that's what the magazine called as American Rifleman. Which is, which is what Hank's referring to. I couldn't find the actual magazine online. I could just find the cover. The cover is hilarious. It reminds me of like that Simpsons episode, The Cartridge Family, when they like when they Homer joins the NRA and like most like with a few simple uh, modifications, you can take down super animals like flying squirrels and electric eels. It's like the the cover of the August ninety seven issue is a handgun, but with like a giant scope on top of it. <laughs> it's like, what do you need that for? <laughs> Sh- shooting a crook that's running away? He's <laughs> an immediate threat. <laughs> Standing your ground. <laughs> I love how Dale, it's like, there's no other option if someone's in your house that you don't immediately recognize is to shoot them. Yeah. <laughs> the episode, like, does a good job. Like, you guys were saying, like, by, like, seeing guns through the eyes that Bobby sees it rather than, like, everybody else. Like, Bobby just sees it as, like, a hobby. He doesn't even realize they're dangerous. Like, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I thought it was nice. Bill's asking Hank how he's going to shoot if he doesn't have a rifle. And then Hank just blurts out that he's not going to shoot. He's not going to go in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And Bobby's, like, in the background cleaning the guns. And yeah, like, You feel pretty bad yeah. for him because, like... Yeah, like, it's like the like the main thing he cares about. <laughs> yeah, and, it's like, all he wanted to do, and then just crushes him. But yeah, it's and like to hear your dad be so passionate about not wanting to do something with you. Like, yeah, especially how excited he was yeah, like and, earlier on in the episode about like shooting and like Bobby literally doesn't understand because he just assumes he did something wrong. Yeah, that's what he says to Peggy, yeah. and it's like uh, Hank's been leading him on, thinking that he's going to be shooting in the contest. So, yeah. yeah, like, this is Bobby just finding out that they're not. It would, it would never occur to Bobby that, like, it's actually Hank's problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that, that's yeah. like a, it's impossible. The, the hills are all winners. Yeah, and, and your dad's infallible when you're 12, like. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, no, no flaws at all. So Peggy finds Bobby throwing the vest he's been wearing all week, three days straight. And his pants, of course. Yeah, so the visual on that is absolutely hilarious. Uh, we see Bobby outside by the trash cans where he's always out there a lot. Like, he smokes there and stuff like that. <laughs> I think it's right out of his window. Yeah, something like that. It's like he must be like the closest exit outside from his from his bedroom. But yeah, he takes his pants off and throws them into the trash. He takes his vest off and he's just like in his tidy whities and his like little gray shirt he always wears. And Peg comes around the corner and goes, Yo, Bobby, what's going on? You've been sleeping in that for four days. <laughs> and... Uh, Bobby's just so, so crestfallen and so sad. He goes, I don't know what's going on. I think I did something wrong. I think I made Dad not like guns anymore. And, yeah, and then Peggy kind of consoles him by saying, no, your father might not always love you, but he always loves guns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's the one thing she is certain of. And I, I think this, no, this scene is really um, interesting. In the commentary, they gave some insight, and 
This was animated, but they had no lines for it because nothing they were writing was working out. And it wasn't until the rest of the episode was completed that they actually kind of picked the best way that Peggy and Bobby should have this discussion. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's kind of like kind of shows for this whole episode um, in the way that all of the characters sort of opinions and parts sort of came in as like afterthoughts. Um, but yeah, no, I just thought it was really cool that uh, that, yeah, they didn't. They didn't know how to handle this, and it was until the last minute that they <coughs> figured all this out. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So, like, when they were writing the script, they had a function for the scene, but just no dialogue? Yeah, the, 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 the tone. The visual, yeah, the, yeah. They're the just visual like, was there, but the tone, like, they weren't sure how they were going to break it to Bobby that Hank can't shoot or yeah. that Hank still loves him. They just didn't know what that. But I they decided it. to go with the Peggy thing, yeah. um, I'm assuming, because the next scene... She goes to confront Hank, and mm-hmm. when he explains to her that she can, sorry, that he cannot shoot, she treats it like he just let her know that he's impotent. I still love you. Yeah, but will the rest of the town be so forgiving? So, like, yeah, and afterwards, like, um, Peggy has a nice little speech, and she's like, what if you're, uh, what if you were never allowed to play football? What if you were never allowed to do what you were good at? Yeah. And, um, I mean, I know, like, people shit on Peggy a lot, rightfully so. Like, she is <laughs> pretty annoying. But this episode, I think it's, like, the best Peggy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's hard to dislike her. Yeah, she has this one line uh, when she's given Hank that speech about guns are keeping this family together or whatever. Yeah. And that's why he needs to, like ex- like, accept the fact that fact that he can't yeah. shoot and do the contest like, and, i like that yeah and generally i think peggy's pretty selfish like she's pretty self-centered but mm-hmm. like here she is just seeing like what's best for bobby she totally. doesn't care about herself yeah she's like sticking up for bobby yeah i i've I had to listen to our last episodes um all uh like and i i feel like yeah we've been pretty down on peg and it's easy to be down on Peg because moment to moment she does get on your nerves. Yeah. But these episodes that she really like shows her maternal side or even just her like Sensible. just leader of the family yeah. sort of in a moral sort of way. Like it's I I do like her a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. But it is she still has some things that are just like you shake your head at. Yeah. She- yeah, and there's some other episodes where, like, she definitely, like, throws Bobby under the bus, like, for her own selfish reasons. <laughs> but, like, here it's, like, it's not that at all. Yeah, totally. Uh, she's very selfless in this one, and uh, it is easy to like her um, in the few times that she does talk. But then we uh, then we see Hank uh, agreeing with Peggy that he needs to shoot in the contest, so he approaches Bobby, who's... Leaning against a tree with his pants off, and I had forgotten that he took his pants off. So when I saw him pantless again, I laughed so hard. Sadly, holding the rifle, yeah, like he got his down. legs crossed, like over top of each other. He's funny. Uh, uh, Paul Paul Lieberstein in the he was saying that he would just love to have that cell framed on his wall, and I oh, gotta yeah. agree with him. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually hilarious. 
Or you can imagine like the other neighbors just driving by and seeing like Bobby like with like his head hung low and he's just holding a rifle in his <laughs> in his tidy whiteies and like well, apparently nobody notices. Happens every day in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, Hank uh, lets Bobby know like he's he he really doesn't want to, but he says he's gonna do the the shooting contest and. Bobby takes it to like a whole new level of like, oh, you're gonna do it? We're gonna win now! Like, he puts an added pressure on a hang, more not just sh- shooting in front of people, but like Bobby has this expectation that they're going to win. Yeah. And Hank's now just like, oh god. And have fun. Sometimes people choke, Bobby. We just gotta be proud that God took the time to give us a fault. That's loser talk. You taught me that. No hill's ever been a loser. We fought for Texas at the Alamo. We're going to get a trophy. The Alamo was famously a bloodbath. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers to that, bro. (laughs) I got to get this dog out of here. So now Hank, making the promise to his son that he's going to go to the father-son fun shoot, has to get his mind in check. And... So he ends up at Philip Nye's office. Yeah, he ends up at Philip's office, and they're practicing with a plastic gun, and Hank starts to really unravel his, like, deep-rooted trauma that uh, Cotton has, like, you know, bestowed upon him for all these years. And uh, Philip Nye, the worst uh, sports psychologist in, <laughs> in Texas, goes, Hank, you're, what are you, you're wasting valuable session time. Picture this as a butterfly. Hank instead chooses to picture uh, some sort of plane, I believe. The McDonald Dowell L1011 wide body, <laughs> which Hank mistakes because it's not actually a Michael Douglas. It is a Lockhead L1011 TriStar wide body. So he got the plane model right, but not the brand. Well, he's not a pilot. That's true. He knows how to fix a pilot light, though. Am I right? Anybody? Yeah, Propane no. joke. Sorry. No, got it's it. good. Uh, but. Uh, the animators did their due diligence, and they that the paint the plane that actually gets animated is the same model, so it's accurate to what he's thinking about. And I, I do like how he's wrong, like because realistically, like he would be wrong. You know I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. He, he would think he knows, yeah. but he just says something wrong. And exactly. Yeah, and uh, it was funny when I was online looking this up. There's like a like a plane forum, like kind of similar to the <laughs> internet car movie database. Uh, but it was, like, just plain dudes talking, and they're like, oh, fucking Hank, of course you got a wrong idiot. <laughs> and then some guy comments back, like, yeah, not everybody's fucking plain nuts like us. Like, to give them a break. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it was funny to watch those guys talk. That is good. I love that scene, too, just as Hank is about to have a breakthrough. And, like, the guy just doesn't acknowledge yeah. that it but I think that's actually better because of the way the episode unfolds like it isn't relevant to Hank's shooting his father's upbringing it's what's relevant to Hank's shooting is exactly what Philip Nye is saying which is fuck that imagine a fucking rainbow or a airplane whatever the hell you mm-hmm. want yeah. and that's just think of that don't think about your dad just shut up like yeah, and yeah. It, it makes perfect sense in my head yeah cuz philip 
it'll like he shouldn't consider himself a psychologist. He should be like, I'm a gun coach or I'm a bowling coach, right? Like he has nothing to do with the actual psyche. He glazes mm-hmm. over it completely. He's like, I'm just gonna make you better right now at what you need to be at. I don't care about your future or your past. But he did have a bachelor of science, therefore he needs to make the money a psychologist makes. <laughs> so he charges psychologist prices. Smart man. Yeah, I think I I, I love Philip Nye um, in this episode. I think it's just like a great. I love it any time. I mean, just like the writers do. Anytime Hank is at odds with just someone who just doesn't get him is is nope. entertaining. And yeah, and he may be like you know the wrong psychologist maybe for Hank, but it works. You know, it may be just a plastic gun shooting a little plastic rubber dart. But the next uh, clip after Hank says prepare for top speed. He shoots a you know a dead bullseye, and then I guess he's ready for the tournament. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Prepare for top speed. I thought it was funny. If we're going to jump right to the fun shoot, um, this one, it has a close-up of the sign as it goes in, and it says County Gun Club. To make it clear that we are no longer the Arlen Gun Club, <laughs> the Dale inhabits. <laughs> I'm laughing because he's got the conspiracy to rise up. He's got the, the revolution poster. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this one, the, the, we're introduced right away here to Tug. Uh, he's the announcer. He's not named by name in this episode, but it's voiced by Toby Huss, and they use this character anytime they need an announcer. Um, I guess we haven't seen him yet. The only announcer I can think of was the Boggle episode, and that's... Uh, that was Alexa, the Russian. Yeah. <laughs> and what was the other one? Uh, it I, was, I, I can't remember. Yeah. But, uh, but it was Toby Huss also, wasn't it? Yeah, he did the Russian voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Tug, Tug he's a staple at like the Arlen Speedway and the horse track and other things like that. So he is, like, I mean, at least every season he makes one or two appearances. Yeah, he's not actually named for a few seasons. I guess we'll get there, but um, I we're led to believe this is all Tug. Yeah, oh, and the uh, the old Durndal County mower races. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's he, the... He definitely the, commentates that. That's the, the implant... Yeah, um, the fake butt. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, and Toby Huss, once again, like he has got to be the number one voice actor in this show. Like he, he puts so much energy and pop into all the characters that he does, and even like this greasy announcer <laughs> tug. You know, he's got this like, like this, uh, you know, this howl to his voice, like this kind of like southern country drawl almost. It's uh, it works so well. I really want to check out Toby Huss's stand up. I. I don't know we'll, how, we'll why have I haven't, <laughs> but he goes on to explain the uh, events that will be held at the fun shoot. And we got bikini girls showing all of them off. Oh, yeah, these models are just money, and they just got, like, these machine guys, and they're just, like, you know, they're doing the demonstrations while Tug announces what the events are and how they're, or, like, you know, how they do them. Followed by the pretend to be sleeping, grab the loaded gun under the bed and shoot a figure in the shadows. It's, it's funny because it, it's, it's the county um, gun range, but it might as well be as unsafe as, like, the Arlen one. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the dude, like, officiating it, is his shirt says, like, uh, father-son fun shoot, but then there's a giant bullseye, like, yeah. <laughs> like, in the middle of his chest, and it's like, yeah. So I like those bikini girls because they're like directly well, playing. <laughs> <laughs> they're directly playing off of a like a a real video that people I guess ordered in Soldier of Fortune magazine that was just women in bikinis shooting different machine guns in the desert. 
Um, I've never actually seen one of the videos, but if you watch uh, Jackie Brown, the Quentin Tarantino-directed movie, there's the scene where Samuel L. Jackson is showing Robert De Niro all these guns he has for sale. <clears throat> and the video he's using to show him is, like, chicks with guns. Mm. And it's just <laughs> chicks showing off machine guns in the desert. And it's as ridiculous as it looks at a father-son fun shoot. <laughs> I just, I thought that was great. No, it is, it is great. Um, and so Hank's pretty unsure about starting this fun shoot, and Bobby is ready as hell. Oh, yeah, Bobby's ready to go. They, I think their first shot is the tandem shoot. It's Hank's shot? Or is it tandem? Tandem. Okay, so same time. Yeah, and... Uh, no, 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 They're, isn't their first shot like the trial shot? No, 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 because no. this is not a trial. Yeah. After yeah. Hank says, prepare for top speed <laughs> and misses. Well, it's, it's confusing, right? Because the first contest is, you know, like the one guy, sh the son shoots and the father shoots. And then I think they do it again at the end because they're tied for first place with the with the Oh, so that was a tiebreaker. Yeah. Gotcha. I, as far as I know. That makes sense. Um, so it was like a literal shootout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right after Hank misses that first target in this mm -hmm. first event, Philip Nye's up in the bleachers with the clown <laughs> afro pointing and Hank's muttering himself like I was so something something <laughs> rainbow. I was so surprised like nobody like turned around and was like I'm just gonna shoot this guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like Wallace Shawn does a good job but his voice is like annoying as hell and oh, he's got yeah. a fucking a rainbow colored afro on this like huge <laughs> and he's wearing that like stupid colorful like windbreaker. I will throw it out to him you know like a sports psychologist who actually takes the time to go and see where his clients go. I mean, maybe he isn't such a bad psychologist. After I mean, that's all, pretty, right? that's pretty personal. That's yeah, pretty good. That's, that's um, good. That's amazing. No, I think it goes back to what Nathan says uh, that like, it probably didn't work out with the, uh, the Cowboys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he's trying to rebuild his it's career. His only client. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but like the McKay's like, the McKay's son, like, never looks happy. Yeah, like, he's a miserable like kid. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, like, the exact opposite situation. Yeah, exactly. If, like, Hank was really good and Bobby was bad and Hank was dragging Bobby yeah. along, it's just reversed. I, I thought that was really cool because that's probably how a lot of those kids that would be in that contest, like, would feel. You might be right, Maybe. but I don't know. Like, I've never shot a gun in my life. Mm -hmm. And, no. Wow. And if I was 12... I think if my dad was like, hey, we're going shooting, I'd probably be excited. The kid just looks, like, sick of it. Like, he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. So we got an awesome montage here of Hank and Bobby uh, shooting through their events, and we get this. The music's really awesome, and over top of it, we got Hank. He keeps psyching himself up. <laughs> He's trying to get, like, over the rainbow, something, something rainbow, to the end of the rainbow, and eventually... To the end of the yellow brick road. How about a little fire, scarecrow? <laughs> it's like, I just love that line. Um, but, yeah, that he just keeps going... And shooting, yeah, they're on fire at this point. Like, and this this gun range that they have developed is hilarious, and like way out of the league of the county gun club. There's like mechanicalized like wooden cutouts popping out everywhere. There's a monkey that drops down. There's like, I think a parrot or like maybe some sort of like fucking 
grouse or something that he shoots. Bobby, like, shows this insane athletic ability that he does not possess. He <laughs> jumps, dives, and shoots a deer right through the head, and the whole crowd cheers. They're both laying on the bed pretending to be sleeping. They shoot the figure in the shadows, which seems like the most dangerous thing. <laughs> that, like, that you're not supposed to be like, oh, if something's in the shadows, shoot it. So they're going so well. They climb the, the leaderboard. Now they're tied for first with the McKay's because the McKay's son uh, blows apart an entire family. And you see one of those chicks in bikinis. <laughs> Yeah, she's dragging it away, and it's like, yeah, like shredded. It looks like Swiss cheese. Good news. The McKay's just came out of the gauntlet, and the younger one blew away an entire picnicking family. I think this is Luann's only line in the episode. She was present for the sewing, but did she say anything? No. no. I can't remember. This is it. But yeah, like the momentum is all on the hillside. They are rolling, and then who else but shows yeah. up? So uh, Cotton shows up. Um, he's late because I guess he had to stop by the wax museum to um, give FDR the finger. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, immediately you can tell Hanks, like, he just gets nervous and he's, like, stressed out. And, um... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can tell straight away, like, he's in his own head. But Bobby is real excited to see his grandpa. Bobby's like, Grandpa, you made it, yeah. Yeah, and I think Bobby has, like, the perfect mentality for, like... Some like a high pressure situation in a while because it just doesn't phase him like nothing phases him. We're like everything phases Hank. Yeah, and uh, Hank's like we're you know we're tied for first. Uh, just so you know, Dad, because <laughs> Cotton's in the crowd. He goes, "That's my grandson." That's my grandson and his father. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, after um, right after Hank explains to him that they are in first. And then Bobby tells him, what's the name of the next event? It's the uh, sharpshooter contest. The long-range accuracy. Oh, accuracy. And Cotton says he hopes the target's the barn (laughs) side of a barn. (laughs) And Hank, the animation for Hank's face here, like, is, like, that's, like, the most emotional moment in this whole episode for me is because, like, I was, like... I fucking just watched that. Like, that, like, he just got destroyed there. Like, and you can see Hank this entire episode try to overcome this. And then he just, however old he is now, cannot escape that. And it is, like, it's an upsetting little animation there. Like, that one was so quick, but it was, like, yeah, it was was touching. I thought it was. I, I noticed that, too. Like, it really stood out apart from all the other kind of animations that, uh, the show does as, like, the most impactful thing to Hank. Yeah, like the way he like just kind of looks. He, he, yeah, not a lot changes on his face. It, it, yeah, he goes straight down. Like yeah. he's just been defeated. Like, totally. And it's it, it's good. It's a good it's a good moment. And a lot of what Paul Lieberstein was talking about when he was talking about his process for writing, um, he likes the emotional stories, but he doesn't like them to be so like ham fisted or like just like be right up on top. He mm-hmm. wants you to, he wants them to sneak up and kind of catch you by surprise. And like that, this is a perfect example because you are just having so much fun. You're laughing at cotton. You love when cotton shows up, mm-hmm. but he does this to Hank and you're just like, that's kind of bummed me out. And then, um, yeah, they were just the studio at the time, I guess was like, you need to like, we need this to be right up on front. We need to see, they wanted the emotional moments to be, like, sappy and, like, mm. to be, like, right up on front. And, like, you don't have, like, they don't want to give <laughs> the viewer the respect of figuring it out for themselves. Yeah. And 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's just one of the good parts about this show. Yeah, that's, that's totally, like, what I love about the show on the whole. It's, like, they don't make too many things obvious. Like, yeah. they let you figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, that's fine. Totally. It's still still valid. And that's the most important thing is if you don't figure it out, it's still fine. Like, mm-hmm. this show is still funny and you're still going to enjoy it. But if you don't pick up on those things, you're not left behind for the enjoyment of the episode. Yeah, you just enjoy everything else. Um, I wasn't going to tell you guys this, but, like, I, I watched this episode, like, when I was very hungover this morning. So, uh, a little out of wax in bed. And I actually shed a couple of tears. I'm not, I, I, oh, yeah? I, 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 like, just, like, had a couple moments where it was just kind of, like, it was mostly between Bobby and Hank. Not, not Hank and Cotton. Just, like, how excited Bobby was and, like... I just, I, I really felt it, for it. It's a, this is one you could shed a tear at for sure. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it was only a couple, I swear. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I still love you. Oh, I wish you didn't tell me that. <laughs> but we see, uh, we're, we're, back, we're back at the tiebreaker and Bobby leans over to his dad. He goes, uh, if Mr. McKay misses this shot, we win. And Hank just starts giving him like, oh, well, you know, we don't want to win that way. And then he, he shoots it like right dead center. And uh, Hank, what does Hank say? Just like, dang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Hank goes up there and he's being heckled by Cotton. I can't remember what he says, but he goes, I've got money on this. On the, on McKay. the McKay's. <laughs> and of course, Hank slowly gets up there and takes aim, psychs himself up, says all of his, his mantras that he's been learning and misses. Like, Hank's inner dialogue, like, kind of reminded me of, like, when I was, like, 16 or whatever, and, like, my driver's test. Mm. I was so nervous. Just like, are you here to drive? Or... <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. End of discussion. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I failed the first time. <laughs> and so Cotton here, you can see him off in the background uh, collecting money from Dale as if Dale had bet... Or the hills to beat the McKays, and I mean I don't know what kind of odds were on that, but <laughs> I like I like that you get that Dale really believed in his friend to win this competition. Well, it's ridiculous. Like I mean, in this part of the the series, uh, Dale's not the president of the Gun Club, but we soon find out he is the president of the Gun Club. So he's gone his whole life as the president of the Arlen Gun Club and not known that his best friend doesn't know how to fucking <laughs> shoot, and he's betting on them. And the, my favorite part is that when he gives like. Cotton a wad of cash. Cotton still stands there and waves waves his fingers at him like he didn't pay him all of, of, of at first. But the the uh, the dynamic between uh, uh, Cotton and Hank's friends is hilarious. That like when Cotton does kind of come to town periodically, that he hangs out with them essentially and like makes <laughs> like you know like talks with them and not uh, his son or his son's wife. <laughs> yeah, I he mean, comes in and bets against him. <laughs> if I was friends with Dale. And I knew that he was president of the Arlen Gun Club. I wouldn't want to go and shoot with him either there. Like, that place was a shithole. Yeah, that place is literally a shack. I thought it was a crack house. Yeah, all we know about the gun club is that guys hang out in the gun club and talk about, like, shooting guns and stuff they've done. But you don't actually ever see them doing anything. Like, they're all a bunch of phony, weirdo basement dwellers like Dale. <laughs> So Hank misses, they lose, or I guess come second place. Uh, and you're thought, or you're led to believe that like this is a, a big loss for Hank, and that uh, he's now disappointed his son because they didn't win. Because the hills are always winners. The hills are always winners. Remember the Alamo? 
So, but Bobby, of course, because Bobby doesn't care, right? Like, Bobby comes running up with their second place uh, certificate, and he's like, Dad, like, so excited. Like, we did it, Dad. Second place in a real father-son tournament. Can I put it on my wall? We were so good out there. We should always be shooting. This is the best day ever. You're the best dad ever. I'm the best son ever. Can we do it again next year? Yeah, so it's it's quite apparent that like Bobby is so happy to get like anything that isn't a participation ribbon, <laughs> which he's probably so used to. But I mean, like the whole like point of it is like he's actually getting to bond with his father and show him that he is useful and not just like, you know, they are from the same planet, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's a really nice ending. And then uh, they walk off into the sunset. Getting a thumbs up for, from the safety inspector. <laughs> <laughs> like, you would think he would just use his other hand by now. <laughs> but he's an idiot. <laughs> oh, I forgot. He is, he is Bill incarnate, so... <laughs> And yeah, they get that long, awkward walk off in the sunset where they don't know where to go. They have and to go back and find Peg. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that brings us uh, to the end of the episode. And I guess we'll just, you know, we'll have our little chat about it afterwards. Um, as our guest here, Pond, what would you think? What was, like, uh, you're a big fan of this show. What do you think of this episode as a whole? Okay, so I, I really like this episode. I, um, it's probably not my favorite. Like, I really like the storyline between, like, Hank and Bobby, obviously, and, like, Cotton. You've kind of got, like, that whole thing going on. But, like, that's pretty much it. I do like how Peggy is, like, actually, like, nice in this episode, and, like, I like her, which, like, you don't see very often. Um, I don't, like... You definitely don't have enough of, like, you know, like, the boys in the alley or um, even, like, Luann or even, like, Con or anything like that to make it, like, the best or my favorite episode. But uh, I definitely like it. Like, it's definitely a good story, and, like, there's nothing wrong with it. That was a good summary. I, uh, I really like this one, too. Uh, I found... That I really liked after watching season one and kind of getting a feel for the show. I like how close kind of Cotton is as in like distance so they can actually just bring him in whenever they really want to. It's not like he he doesn't have to be in every episode because he doesn't live there, but they can bring him in super easy. I agree. I I like it when he's not only in flashbacks. Yeah, yeah, because he is in flashbacks a lot so far. And in watching this episode, I totally thought he was just going to be in flashbacks. Yeah, totally. Me too. And so when he actually showed up, it's like, it's perfect. Uh, So there was that. Actually, that's a good question. Who invited Cotton? How did he Sounds find Sounds like out? Bobby. Yeah? Might have sent that yeah. letter to Hell USA. <laughs> yeah, because I guess Bobby was, like, probably the only person excited to uh, see mm-hmm. Cotton. I know Dale. Dale keeps in contact with Cotton, but I'm not sure about this one, like, who invited him. I mean, he might because Dale is in charge of the gun club. But I agree with you. I wish there was a – not. I don't wish. It was a great episode for what it was. I would have liked to seen more of the boys and, like, Luann to have more speaking roles because I always go back to that comment that you made in an earlier episode about Brittany Murphy and how they must drag her down to the studio for just a couple lines, an episode, and this is one of those episodes that I was, like, feeling for her. Like, <laughs> you, you came down to work, did, did one line. And there's not even Joseph in this one either. Yeah, so there's it was not. Just you think Luann. Joseph would support his buddy or... 
I feel like if you brought Joseph in, then you kind of need to ask more questions about Dale and Joseph and why they aren't in the fun shoot. And I just think okay, they wanted to yeah. leave that alone. That makes sense. Because I, w- I was thinking just maybe like in the crowd as like a cameo with Dr. Nye, maybe. But yeah, like, I, I, I get it because so, it would put that thought in your head. I was going to say that, but I think the reason that Joseph was involved in this episode, because it would have just been one more thing that he's better than Bobby at, because Joseph is Bob or better than Bobby at every sort of hobby that they kind of do together uh, th- throughout this series. But I wasn't the hugest fan of this episode. I think if this episode was in season one, I would have been like, yeah, this is great. But compared to some of the heavy hitters that we get to see uh, episode wise in season two, it, it falls a bit short. I thought Wallace Sean was kind of more annoying than anything. And it definitely lacked uh, Boomhauer and Bill. And uh, still, we haven't seen John Redcorn speak role in like 10 or 12 episodes that would have been great but it was a good episode I, I agree with Nathan that there wasn't any technical holes you know with it like it, it was fine but it, it's not a memorable one it's not one that you kind of you know if you want to show somebody King of the Hill this is not an episode that you do that see I think it's funny you guys have that opinion I I I think this is this would be one I think this this is the first episode in my opinion that they've hit that emotional center that really makes King of the Hill work on like on a relatable level. Like there's been like the a good example is the um, episode with Willie Nelson, because that is like when you get closest to Hank and Bobby being so like emotionally like influenced by each other, I guess. And like mm-hmm. this episode I thought they really started to figure out the emotional center of these characters and really what makes them tick and really, like, start playing with Bobby and Hank's interests. Um, I I think I, I would almost say this would be one to watch. I think this is a great start to season two anyway. Uh, I agree and... I, th- I, th- I agree with the best parts of both of you guys. I think that it is not a show that you'd want to show somebody because uh, the point you made about the uh, they're tapping into the emotions of that relationship, I feel like I wouldn't under fully, like I would not have shed a tear if I didn't watch season one. So if this was like the first episode I, I went into, I wouldn't, <coughs> may, I don't I can't say for sure, but I don't think I would still feel the same way about it as I do now because having seen the other episodes. So I think it's a great, I think it's a great season two opener. I, I think, yeah, I agree. You're right. It doesn't have all the, all the, all the aspects that make King of the Hill great. But I think so far this one does the best job of just the aspect between Hank and Bobby. Yes. I agree with I you think. there. I, yeah, I understand I'd agree with you. that. Like the, uh, kind of like one of the main overarching themes over the whole series is like, you know, like Bobby and Hank trying to connect with each other and like failing every time. Mm-hmm. And like, this is, I don't know if there's any episodes, like, there probably is like moments in season one, but like, where like that's like kind of what they're trying to do. But like, this is, this episode is about that entirely. Like, where the episode lacks is like, there's really not much else. Like, as far as like just laughs. I would say the guitar episode is very much about Hank realizing that. Bobby does respect and worship his dad. Like, that's what that episode is about. But yeah, right. Well, looking at the the episode list in season two, I think I don't. I was kind of surprised where they started with this episode. But looking at the ones that follow after, there's not a Bobby episode for about six or seven episodes. I don't know that as much as Halloween. I think Halloween is a lot about Hank trying to impart his uh, his views onto Bobby. 
Yeah, but that's uh, a few episodes from this one. That's like it's three. Yeah, it goes uh, How to Fire a Rifle, Texas City Twister, The Arrowhead, then Halloween. But Husky Bobby is probably the only true Bobby episode, and that comes in the sixth. That's episode, episode six, yeah. yeah. Um, a little spoiler, uh, the Texas City Twister is probably one of my favorite episodes. That one's great. I, yeah, I look forward to yeah, talking about it. It's a very good episode. <laughs> Haven't seen it. Uh-huh. <laughs> the trailer tipped over! <laughs> Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, like, I think that was, that's pretty good for this episode. We all got some good opinions out of this one. I think this is, this is a great start to season two, and I'm real excited to get back in the studio. We have a new clubhouse. We do have a new, <laughs> sorry, we have a new clubhouse, and yeah, we got, yeah, so hopefully, uh, hopefully this, this, this season turns out better than our last. Thank you all for listening. And uh, thanks again for having me, and I'll be here again. Glad to hear it. <laughs> Can I get a round table? Weema Tanya! Weema Tanya. That's it. Da da Want to hear more Order of the Straight Arrow? Join the conversation on Twitter at Utsakothpod or follow us on Instagram at Utsakothpod or look for us on Facebook at Order of the Straight Arrow, a King of the Hill podcast. Catch new episodes every Sunday night. Please share this podcast with your friends and feel free to contact us by email at utsakothpod at gmail.com. Please, no hate mail. Yeehaw! Hey, what you crying for, boy? It's a good show. This is a damn good show. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and in no way reflect the views and opinions of Mike Judge, Greg Daniels, or Fox Studios. The external audio used in this podcast is not owned by the Order of the Straight Arrow or its affiliates and is presented in good faith to its copyright owners. Please don't sue us.